I would invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Um, it is Pentecost weekend. And uh, the significance of Pentecost weekend, Pentecost is the day that the church was born. You might not realize it, but uh, 1988 years ago, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost as the church was born. And uh, something else you might not realize is that uh, this weekend um, is, uh, is actually the 13th anniversary of the birth of our church. So uh, we share something in common, the birth of the church of Jesus Christ 1988 years ago, 13 years ago, the birth of Reliance Church. I thought it would only be only fitting here on Pentecost weekend for us to uh, take a look at the birth of the church here in Acts chapter 2 and uh, to take some uh, important reminders from the things that we see there. Here in, uh, in the book of Acts, understand the book of Acts, it's both a descriptive uh, book and it is a prescriptive book. It's descriptive in the sense that as we go through the book of Acts, what we see, really it's a book of history. And we're so grateful that as we read through the book of Acts, it gives us so much instructive history. Uh, things that uh, the, the early church did and that they focused on, how they went about planting churches, how they went about handling different problems in the churches, things like this. And, uh, and so very descriptive for us, also very prescriptive. Because what we see is that the book of Acts prescribes some very healthy things that we can do as a church that, uh, that uh, promote our health and promote our mission, really the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Things as teaching, such as teaching the word of God. Things like fellowshipping with one another and the importance of that. Just prescriptive things like partaking of the Lord's Supper and obeying the Lord's command that we should uh, partake of communion in remembrance of Him together on a regular basis, uh, that we would examine ourselves during that time. Uh, things like prayer. Uh, all of these things that we see uh, a prescriptive work happening that we should incorporate into our uh, corporate gathering together as a church. And you know, if, if you glance there real quickly at the very first, first verse in chapter one of the book of Acts, what you will see is that Acts is really a continuation of the work that Jesus came to do. Uh, Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, he also authored the Gospel of Luke. And he alludes to that Gospel in, in verse 1. He says, The former account, uh, speaking of the Gospel of Luke, that I made, O Theophilus, Theophilus being the recipient of this letter, he says, so in, in my former account, in the Gospel of Luke, I, 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 uh, I told of all that Jesus, and here's the operative word, began both to do and to teach. That, that small word, word began, it is, it is everything to us because the implication is that the work of the church is the continuation of the work of Jesus Christ. And so, so important for us. And as we come now to Acts chapter 2, what we see is the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost. We read this, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they, speaking of the disciples, <coughs> they were all with one accord in one 
place. Now, we're going to focus for the majority of our time together uh, today on, um, on Pentecost, the significance of it, what it is, all of these things. But right out the gate, I want you to take note of the fact that they were all in one accord in one place. A lot of bad dad jokes about them being in one accord. No, it's not a Honda Accord, obviously. Um, collective groans now coming across from the internet. Um, no, they were all in one accord. They were, they were unified, and they were in one place. And listen, that's two things that the church of 2020 in particular has had to work very hard to maintain. Um, the, 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 the working and the striving to maintain being together in one place and being in one accord. Now we're all familiar with Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 that says this, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. That word neglect, uh, it, it, carries in mind, here's the, the, the definition of it in the original language. It means to abandon and it means to leave behind. And, and really the idea is that it's a permanent decision. Uh, what the writer of Hebrews is exhorting us to as Christians is saying, look, don't make a permanent decision to abandon and to leave behind corporate worship. Um, now, the, the thing is, is that we haven't done that. Through circumstance, we have been required to, uh, to meet in creative ways. We're doing so right now. We're meeting online uh, through, uh, through the gift of technology, which sometimes can be a curse. This morning, it certainly has had its problems. But thank God that we have technology available to us that we can gather together. So while we're not in one place in the physical sense, we are in one, one place in the sense that we are gathering uh, together. And I'm so grateful. Listen, we, we haven't made a decision to permanently abandon and to leave behind our gathering together. No, we have been able to meet together online. We, we've been able to sacrifice for the sake of others. And, and we've been able to maintain our Christian witness to the lost in the process. And I'm so grateful that the Lord has, has moved upon our hearts and, and given us the capacity to be able to do that. Just trusting Him in everything that He's doing. And boy, the Lord has proven Himself to be faithful is proving himself to be faithful. The other thing that the church of 2020 has had to strive to maintain, and it is so important, is that we are in one accord. If you were with us last week, especially in particular at the drive-in services, um, you know, we were emphasizing this, but the idea of that phrase, one accord, we were looking at unity last week. And being in one accord, uh, the idea is being of one mind, and it's of being of one passion. This attitude, this idea of unity. Jesus said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's talking about our testimony and about our connectivity. And he says in his prayer to the Father there in John 17, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I've given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. 
And you know, as you read through Acts chapter 1, you see that they accomplished this unity, being in one accord and being in one mind. You see that they accomplished this by doing two things. They waited obediently upon the Lord, and this was according to the word of the Lord. Jesus had commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem, you wait for the gift my Father has, has promised you. And so they did that, and the second thing that they did, being in one accord and one mind, accomplishing this, was that they were in prayer together. They were just laboring in prayer. And guys, this is a gloriously beautiful thing, and it pleases the Lord. When we are in one accord and of one mind, we just set our course according to his word, and, and we seek the mind of God through our prayer together. And so they do this, and that brings us to this glorious chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and the birth of of the church. We're just seeking you, Lord. We're following your word. We're praying. And when, verse 1 of, of uh, chapter 2 uh, of the book of Acts, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together, and they were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And then they were all amazed and marveled. They're saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, and Pergia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said they are full of new wine. The implication being some people saw all this and they said these guys are drunk. And, and so the, the thing here is that in Acts chapter 2, we've got the day of Pentecost. It has now fully come. Now we're going to unpack these verses I just read. Understand Pentecost represents... 50 days. That's what Pentecost actually means. The word Pentecost means 50 days. And the idea here is that um, in the Old Testament, Pentecost was known as the Feast of Harvest because it was celebrated during the harvest season. Now, you, you've got a reference to it, by the way, in Exodus chapter 23. It was also known as the Feast of Weeks. And um, the reason they called it the Feast of Weeks was because it described a 50-day period, um, the time between the grain harvest to the barley harvest to the wheat harvest, and that was a 50-day 50, was a, was a period of time, uh, a period of four weeks plus one day added because it was to be celebrated on the morrow, uh, the next day. That's why the verse begins when the day of Pentecost had fully come. It had been a period of four weeks that had transpired, and then the very next day. And so now Pentecost has 
fully come. And so the, the issue of 50 days, the number 50, that's very significant because 50 has a, a great significance in the Bible. Uh, 50 implies complete freedom from captivity. And, uh, and, and an example of this is that every 50th year was called the year of Jubilee or the year of liberty. And during the 50th year, properties reverted to their original owners. And this brought liberty because it freed successive generations of families from poverty. And this freedom from captivity is a theme that we see frequently in the other festivals and holy days that were celebrated in the Old Testament that have a very significant New Testament application. For example, in the Old Testament, we have the Feast of Passover and we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And these two feasts together marked Israel's freedom from Egyptian slavery. Now, you guys are probably familiar with the story. The story goes this way, that when, when uh, Egypt was in cap, or when uh, it, the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt, God sent messages to Pharaoh. And the message was consistently, let my people go. And Pharaoh would, was hardening his heart. He would not let the people go. And so what God did was he sent a series of plagues uh, against the, 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 the nation of Egypt uh, to, to persuade Pharaoh to let his people go, to free them from the bondage of slavery. Well, it all culminated with the final plague that was sent, and that was the, the, the death of the firstborn child, firstborn male child, every family. And what God told the Israelites was, look, the angel of death is going to come, and what I'm instructing you, my people, to do is that you should sacrifice an unblemished lamb and take the blood of that lamb and apply it to your doorposts. And when you do this, it is a symbol or it is a sign that will cause the angel of death to pass over your house and not bring death to your, to your home. Now, this has a biblical significance for us because the idea is that God, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and that's what this Old Testament experience was all about. It was to point forward to the coming work of Christ. Jesus is our Passover lamb. He is the, he is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And so what happens is, is that Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came as that unspotted lamb who was sacrificed for your sins and for my sin. And when we, by faith, uh, take hold of Jesus' sacrifice for us, and when we are then the doorpost of our, of our home, uh, home metaphorically being of your life, when the blood of the lamb is applied by faith to the doorpost of the home of your life, then 
you will escape bondage, you will escape death, and, and you will come into an eternal place of life and, and of hope and of freedom in Jesus Christ. And so biblically, the idea is that God reveals his plan of salvation through the symbolism of ceremonies and harvest festivals and all of these things in, in the Old Testament, having their definition ultimately in the New Testament, these all serve as signs pointing to the person and the work of Jesus. On Passover, the Son of God was crucified as our Passover lamb. On the Feast of First Fruits, Jesus rose from the grave. And then Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples in a post-resurrection ministry. You can read about it in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. It tells us there that Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them, meaning the, the, the disciples and the followers of Jesus, during 40 days, and he, the, the book of Acts says that these were many infallible proofs. We know from reading the scriptures that over 500 people saw Jesus risen from the grave. Eyewitness testimony is the strongest testimony in a court of law. And over 500 people attested to the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. And so we, we have this beautiful picture here and the book of Acts verse 3 says that uh, during this 40 days he was speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And then immediately after 40 days Jesus ascended to his Father in heaven. But listen, he told his disciples as he was going to go, he told them that he would not uh, leave them abandoned nor leave them comfortless. Um, he said that he would send his Holy Spirit to empower them to continue the work that he started. And that through them and through the power of the Holy Spirit working in them, he would bring freedom and liberty to the captives, freeing us from sin through the proclamation of the gospel. Jesus said, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. John chapter 14 beginning in verse 16. That he may abide with you forever. Who's, the other, who's this other helper? He goes on in verse 17 to explain. The spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. And so listen, the significance of the, of the Feast of the Pentecost is that Jesus did just that. He met these disciples after they waited upon him and he poured out his spirit upon them and having been filled with the Holy Spirit, they began, verse 4 says, to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, the word that's used there in verse 4 that we define as other tongues, it's actually the word dialects. And the verses go on to explain what this means. What God supernaturally did was he gave these Galilean disciples the supernatural ability to speak 
a different language. And they were speaking the languages of all of those who had gathered together for Pentecost from all of these various regions that the verses declare. And so God is communicating through them to these people of different languages in a, in a language that they can understand. And he's doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he continues to do that today. God, he anoints the teaching of his word and he... And and he takes the word, and maybe he's doing that right now in your life, where he takes the word and he is, he is helping your heart and your mind to hear the message, the good news of the gospel. That, that God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. That, hey, we are sinners and we're separated from God and we need a Savior and His name is Jesus Christ who came and gave His life as a ransom for many. And the Bible declares that if we will receive Jesus Christ by faith, if we will trust in His work on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin because the Bible says the wages of sin is death but that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. If we will do that, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, will be saved. And maybe that's you today. And so we see the disciples and they're operating this way under the power of the Holy Spirit speaking in all of these various tongues in a way that the people can hear it and they can comprehend it. And it's this beautiful thing that they, they hear this and they say, this is a miracle, basically, is what they're saying. How can we hear this? How can, how can they be speaking my language and how can I understand it? But indeed, it is happening. They were all amazed and perplexed, verse 12 says, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others were mocking them, and that always happens when the word of God goes out. You've got people who hear and you've got people who mock. But Peter, verse 14, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and he said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be made known to you and heed my words. And Peter goes on now to preach the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the significance. We see it here of the day of Pentecost. You have the birth of the church. You have the empowering and the leading of the Holy Spirit. You have the anointing, the anointed preaching of God's word. You have the proclamation of grace, of freedom from bondage. And we're going to see in just a minute that Peter includes an invitation to receive God's grace. So incredibly important, and I want you to hold that thought because we're going to come back to that. And it's important for you to hear that because I'm going to give you an invitation to receive God's grace. But before I get there, the idea, the emphasis of the day of Pentecost and the importance of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit well, listen, just understand this. If you, if you back up and you read through Acts chapter 1, and for time's sake, we're not going to do it, but I'm just going to paraphrase what happens there. Jesus had commanded his disciples, you need to wait in Jerusalem for the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? And so what did they do? They waited. They, they, they did so according to his word. They're in prayer together. They're waiting upon God. Well, if you know Peter, if you've met Peter in the scriptures, Peter ain't a guy who waits very well. Uh, he is a ready, shoot, aim kind of guy, and uh, I identify with him in that regard. 
And so what happens in Acts chapter 1 is that while he was technically waiting, Peter saw an opportunity to do something. He got the bright idea, hey, we need to replace Judas. Judas, you know, he, he's gone out from, from us and he denied the Lord and he went out and hung himself. And we need to replace Judas. And so Peter takes a couple of scriptures and he mashes them together, kind of out of context. It says, we need to replace Judas. And so the disciples, they come up with two candidates and they do what we so often do uh, is that we give God option A and we give God option B. Hey God, we got a situation here. We've come up with a solution. You know, do you want this guy or do you want this guy? Do you want us to do this thing or do you want us to do that thing? Just, just pick which one you want, right? And so, the, the, so they, they get to the place where they draw straws, basically, and, uh, the, and they, they go, okay, uh, Matthias, I guess you're the guy. So they choose this guy named Matthias. Now, I'm of the mindset that this was a decision that they made in the power of the flesh, not in the power of the Holy Spirit. Number one, because the Holy Spirit hasn't been poured out yet. Secondly, you really never hear from Matthias again in the Scriptures. But here's who you do hear from again in the Scriptures. You, you go fast forward through the book of Acts, you get a few chapters down the road. What you will discover is that God himself replaces Judas with, with his selection, and his selection is the Apostle Paul. And at the time of God's choosing the Apostle Paul, he was known as Saul, his Greek name, and this was the guy who was killing Christians at the very moment when they were going to select the, the replacement for Judas in, in Acts chapter 1. And so you could see how that would, would, you know, be kind of a problem for Peter when they're going through the selection process to say, hey, who should we get to be an apostle with us? Hey, I know. Why don't we pick the guy that's killing Christians right now? Like, it just does not make sense, right? God's ways aren't man's ways. And God was going to do a supernatural work in the heart of Paul, and he was going to call him to that work. But we see this great example in Acts chapter 1 of what happens when we operate in the strength of our own flesh, I think. And so what happens here in Acts chapter 2 is so significant and what we celebrate today, the day of Pentecost, so significant because it's all about God through the power of the Holy Spirit empowering us to continue his work here on the earth and operating under the power of the Spirit. And I want you to notice the stark difference between what Peter does in Acts chapter 1 in selecting the replacement for Judas, and you never hear from the guy again, versus what happens in, in chapter 2. He's preaching now under the power of the Holy Spirit. You skip down to verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, and it tells us, now, um, when they had heard this, he's speaking of all the multitudes that were gathered, and this being the message that, that Peter preached under the power of the Holy Spirit, they were cut to the heart. God's word pierced their heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? I'm praying that happens today in your heart as you hear God's word. That if you right now today are outside of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would hear his word, that you would hear that he loves you and that he wants that his desires that none should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. And you would hear the good news of the gospel that Jesus died on the cross for your sins in your place and he wants to make you a new creation. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. 
creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And I'm praying today that you would be cut to the heart by the person and the work of Jesus working through his word by the power of his Holy Spirit to have your eyes open to the fact that God loves you and that you're a sinner that needs to be saved by him. And so they're cut to the heart and they say, what shall we do? Maybe you're asking that question today. What shall you do? Listen to Peter's words. Peter said to them in verse 38, repent, repent. Repent is a word that simply means to turn. And it doesn't mean, well, let me tell you, let me finish the thought. It means you turn. It means you turn from the, the life that you've been living, the direction that you've been going, the, the, the sins that you have been engaged in. It means that you, repent means that you turn from those things and that you turn to God. And it doesn't mean, repentance doesn't mean that now turning to God, you do so in your own strength and in your own power, just endeavoring to do good and try harder. Listen, guys, you don't have enough strength in you. You don't have enough try in you to be able to be successful at that. The Bible says that our righteous deeds are as filthy rags before God. That, that on your best day, you, you still are a sinner who needs a perfect Savior. And so repentance doesn't mean doing good and trying harder. That's religion. That's not a relationship with God. Repentance means you turn from your sin and you cry out to God. And you say, God, I need you to come into my life. And that's the significance, guys, of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit will come into your life and empower you to do this work as you cry out to him. And so this is what Peter is saying. He says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Listen, what's baptism? It's an outward sign of an inward change. It's a declaration to the world that says, just as Jesus died and was buried and rose again, that I, by placing my faith in Jesus Christ, that I have died and I've been buried as I go underneath the water of baptism and I've risen again. It's an outward sign of an inward change. The act of baptism doesn't save you. It's a testament to the world to say, I have been saved by Jesus Christ. And so Peter is telling these guys, you need to be repent. That's the act of salvation, turning to God. You need to be baptized. That's the act of testimony to proclaim that you are now a follower of God. He says, you, you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And he says, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Listen, God, the moment you cry out to him and you make that profession of faith in him, the Holy Spirit comes into your life to empower you to live a new life, to, to be able to be that, that new creation in Christ and de old, deny the old man and the old ways and to walk in newness of life. G, uh, Peter continues in verse 39. He says, The promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Let me ask you a question. Are you saved today? Do you have the hope of eternal life? Because you can. You can know the, God, the, the Lord God as your 
personal Lord and Savior. And what I mean by personal is that you have a personal relationship with Him. And that's what I'm inviting you to today. That's what Peter is now doing in the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, this invitation to receive God's grace. But listen, we're not finished yet. Because I'm well aware that many of you listening to my voice today, you've taken those steps. You have been born again by the Spirit of God, and you are now saved. Well, listen, having become part of God's family by being born again means now that you start living a new life. And I want to, you to notice how they lived the new life. What, what, is Peter, what does the book of Acts go on to say? It tells us in verse 41... Those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 3,000 people following the Lord Jesus Christ and becoming a part of the, the church of Jesus Christ. And they <coughs> continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and prayers. And then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And now all who believed were together. They had all things in common and they sold their goods and possessions as anyone had need. They divided them all among all as anyone had need. And continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Guys, we continue now as believers. The day of Pentecost reminds us not only that we need to receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit we need by the confession of faith in Jesus Christ and not only that we need to be trusting in the power of God and not the power of our own flesh, but it is also this healthy reminder of, look, the church was born to go forward in a loving relationship with God by us practicing regular things, not to earn salvation, but to grow in our relationship with God. And listen, there are opportunities that we have to abound in all of these good works. One of the things I want to talk to you about is baptism. You'll notice that it plays a prominent part in the early church that the, a person makes a, pro, a profession of faith and immediately they're baptism, right? They, 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 make, they make a profession of faith in, first of all, by turning to the Lord and saying, God, I need you. And then they make a public profession of faith by declaring to the world, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Right? And, and so you, you want to make that profession through baptism. And guys, we have a baptism coming up on June 20th. Baptism coming up June 20th, Saturday night outdoor services, and we are going to have a baptism. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you've never been baptized, I want to invite you to be baptized. We had an amazing thing happen while we have been uh, under uh, lockdown and doing exclusive online services. We have watched God's Spirit go forth in ways that we never imagined. And in one particular case, we had a family attending our church, longtime members of our church, 
They had been inviting family members of theirs to, to come to church, and these family members wouldn't, wouldn't physically come to church. But when we started meeting online, they attended. Very first week we began meeting online, we saw one of their family members make a profession of faith at one of our services and, and come forward to know the Lord. Just recently, we saw their, the mother of this, of this attendee of our church. She's, she's 94 years old. She would never come to our church physically. She was invited to come online. She did. She gave her life to the Lord, and she has declared her desire to be baptized. And so on June 20th, we are having a baptism, and we're going to baptize that precious 94-year-old gal along with many others. And I told my staff when I was working on the message, I said, guys, we're going to have a baptism, and we're going to do so on June 20th. And as you might imagine, some of them were big-eyed, and they were saying, well, wait a minute, what about the coronavirus? I said, buy a bunch of gallons of, uh, of bleach, just do whatever you're going to do. We're going to baptize people. And so we got a baptism coming up June 20th. If you haven't been baptized, make a public profession of your faith. I invite you to come celebrate with your brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to put feet on our faith and live out some of these prescriptive things that we read in the book of Acts. Baptism is certainly one of them. Engaging is in prayer is another one. This Wednesday night, we're going to have our first Wednesday gathering, and we're going to do so in our courtyard, and we're going to worship the Lord, and we're going to pray together. Martin Luther said the church moves forward on its knees, and guys, this is what we're going to do, and so come out to our first Wednesday service. Worship the Lord together. Praise the Lord together, and let's pray together. Guys, our nation desperately needs Christians to be praying fervently. We have an opportunity this Wednesday night to do that. We have an opportunity to continue in our fellowship together. We have an opportunity to continue in the Word of God together, which we do here every week in our weekly services and, and in our online gatherings and now in our physical gatherings. And guys, I want to invite you today, this morning, now, we're going to worship the Lord through partaking of communion. The bread that we're going to partake of represents Jesus' body broken for us. The cup we will partake of represents his blood shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And we need to do this regularly because the Lord Jesus Christ said that we're to do this often in remembrance of him and that we're going to, we should take the opportunity to examine our hearts when we're partaking of communion. And the examination of this, examination of our hearts is this, not that we're good enough, but that we're trusting on the one who is good enough the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life as a ransom for many. Do you know him?